All right, so today, this is my favorite one, I think, of all the 24. I don't know. I, I could say that <laughs> a million times, I think. But um, so lecture two, and we're going to do the first half of it. Um, so redemptive suffering. Uh, like I said uh, earlier, like, this is one of the concepts that, like, fundamentally changed me as soon as I, like, finally caught on to what it was actually saying. Uh, that was when I was reading Isaiah Decoded for the first time. Um, and chapter six, son servant level, going whoa wait a minute like this is not something that we learned in sunday school but yet it's so apparent all over the scriptures like it, once you have some of the keys it just really unlocks and unfolds and things and so um just what are your guys's preliminary comments and, and thoughts before we like dive into the the actual uh, lecture itself like what are your thoughts on on redemptive suffering and how has this changed your paradigm your perspective and, and things or has it <laughs> hmm. I love the concept of redemptive suffering. It helped me to understand things as you just expressed in. It was the key that unlocked so much. And I know the natural response um, to suffering is to do to avoid it at all costs. It's almost like a reflex uh, response to like, no, <laughs> no, don't want to go there. Um, to be able to experience suffering and then begin to realize wow this is really leading me into on a fruitful path this is really leading me into where I need to be so not only just to understand it conceptually but then to begin experiencing it in real time is absolutely life changing and I owe a debt of gratitude to Avraham for being instrumental in bringing that teaching. I was ready to receive it then. And just to be able to receive that is just, it has changed my life. Yeah, thank you. I don't know if anyone else is like me, but I, before I thought, oh, Christ did the suffering. I don't have to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what I mean? Like you just lean on the atonement that he, because what are we taught? He suffered for us. Right. So then you think I don't have to suffer, but then, and I think that's why we often question, why is this happening to me? Why am I suffering? And so then as you understand this, then it gives meaning to the suffering. And that is what helps you endure the suffering. Right. And suffering brings you everything you need, everything you need to grow and to become. The things that ultimately will bring you joy is what you receive through your suffering. And was it Paul who talked about suffering with Christ? Now I know what it means to suffer with Christ rather than feeling persecuted. Right. right. And I think that's I think that's why so many people think, why does God hate me? Because they don't understand the suffering. That's right? a really good point. And uh, we can, and maybe the suffering comes from bad things, bad people with bad intents. It doesn't come from God, but he allows us to suffer so we can turn it to our good. Right. And have a purpose in it. Right. Mm -hmm. Kind of like... I mean, Eve took the fruit, but God still used that for his good, right? And exactly. he can turn, 
he can turn anything that Satan does to us for our good and sanctify us. And which is not what he's trying to do. He's trying to thwart the plan like he did in the garden. Right. And convince us that that pain suffering is a bad thing. Right. And, and I, like, like you said, Lisa, that was, that's been really, really eye opening to me as I've learned from Abraham and, um, and it's just, it's interesting. You're so right with it. Christ doesn't spare us from suffering, you know, but it's, we, he's with us through it, you know, and, and it is part of that growth. And, you know, also in those, the scriptures like come alive and bearing the cross and all of those things that before, again, just read right over and not realize the importance of, of that. So, yeah, just echoing your thoughts. <laughs> I found it um, also very enlightening. I think I knew it um, at some basic level. Uh, I went through cancer about 14 years ago and I was really, I should have been upset and nervous because I had little children, but I was, I just embraced the whole thing and it was um, really powerful in my life. And I still have, in fact, I had a lady call me two nights ago, um, coming upon this concept on in her own life and wanted to talk to me how I made it through cancer with a happy heart. And I hardly ever think about the cancer anymore, but it really struck people that watched it and where I can't really share Isaiah with a lot of people. They just immediately like, oh, you're weird or that's too hard or I'm not interested. If I can teach them concepts like redemptive suffering, um, when people are crying, why is this happening to me? It's like I have an immediate answer and I can talk it through with them and show them in the scriptures and, and pray with them. And all of a sudden their burden is lighter because they see a purpose in this unfair situation that they're going through. So it's really empowered me to help other people. That's nice. You know, I think sometimes we feel like suffering isolates us, but if we embrace these teachings, we find that we are becoming part of Christ's uh, people and his fellowship. And it isn't as isolating. When I was younger, I thought that if everything went my way, that meant that God loved me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I got him. It's almost kind of like the, the opposite. If everything's going right, then something's wrong. <laughs> now, now I'm like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, mother. Um, I just wanted to say with myself, it helped me understand uh, the atonement of Jesus Christ better. Um, I always kind of had this little thing in the back of my mind, why in the world did he have to go through so much? Couldn't it be done another way or something, you know? But now it helped me understand why it had to be the way it, it was and that and his is actually the the greatest example of and the greatest davidic covenant ever made and that ever will be made but anyway it just helped me 
kind of work through some things with that and appreciate and understand more about uh, his atonement for us. Yeah. So let's kind of dive into to the first part here where he's referencing visions of glory. Um, so I'm assuming everyone's read visions of glory <laughs> or heard it at some point kind of a thing. Um, and uh, we're, we're specifically talking about the intercessory prayer that, that Maxwell is, is interceding on behalf of, of Spencer, right? And um, I, I think that that was such an interesting contrast. So first, Spencer is taken to Tahiti, some satanic stuff, like the kind of the depths of hell in order to see the brightness of the light that redemptive suffering can actually bring. And um, like this part right here. So I now believe the stark contrast was to teach me how suffering could actually sanctify and bring about exaltation when the sufferer submits to Christ and lets that suffering purify and complete their mortal experience. And so I find that very, um, very eye-opening um, as we, uh, like Avraham here, goes through and starts pointing out some different examples. The scriptures are full of redemptive suffering, where people go to the depths of hell for other people. And sometimes it's not just for the wicked, right? It's not just to rend veils of unbelief, but sometimes that redemptive suffering is more empathetic, uh, like like here with Max and Spencer, where he is uh, pleading on behalf for this person saying he's going to start his descent phase and I am adding to it uh yoking myself with him in a way and uh helping provide some of that temporal or physical protection from the the things that are ahead kind of a thing and so that that really changed my whole paradigm uh when it was not just about saving people from their sins kind of a thing you know because like that's what christ does you know the the atonement and, and things we have that paradigm but this a uh, little bit different nuance and perspective how we can kind of share in that uh in a way does that make sense like i don't know <laughs> but yeah that part of uh, visions of glory was very transformational to me when when i first read that i haven't had the example of a father doing it I haven't really had the example of a mother either, but I've had my experience as a mother. And I just think that's probably throwing us in as parents is what, you know, we all experience that as parents being that doing those intercessory prayers for our children, um, sacrificing, staying up late and working through difficult situations with them. Yeah. Would any of you uh, argue that you would do things differently with the knowledge that you have now <laughs> with your kids? Probably? I was going to say that. I wish I could go back to the beginning of my life. I don't know how young as an adult, probably, but know this and, and I could do things differently. It would have been made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Just in perspective, right? Yeah. When we change our perspective, it changes everything. Absolutely. I, I as well. And, um, it's something I'm still, I'm still trying to learn, but it has changed my 
the way I pray for my children, um, most definitely. Um, and even, oh, that reminds me of, there was something, maybe you guys remember in, in, in the New Testament directed towards Mary. So I think it was when she took Christ to the temple, but would that be Zachariah blessing her? Anyways, he said something that again, just, yeah, it stood out to me, just something about like her suffering her. Well, this is kind of how I interpreted it. Maybe I misread it, but it was kind of like she would be, she would be experiencing the suffering Christ would on some level. I don't know, like the sword. I, I'm slaughtering this, but yeah, something about like the sword would pierce her too, or something like that. Okay, that's I, in I, Luke 2 34. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Um, oops. I just thought, oh, next verse 35, yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I, I don't know if I ever considered that verse, like, wow, uh, how, how applicable that is in, in that. And just thinking of Mary, you know, like all of the things that, that she went through, um, like what it must be to, uh, to, to birth the, the savior of all, all mankind and uh, knowing the, the patterns and, and things and being instructed from, from angels and, and all of that, uh, like, of course she would be fulfilling the, the same patterns and, and things. Hmm. Uh, I'm just reminded of Eve. That's what I've been looking up in Genesis 3, 8, um, 16. After she's eaten of the fruit, remember hmm. the, I don't know, the curse or the blessing that he gives to Eve. I will greatly multiply thy so sorrow. Yeah. And, and I just think, wow, is that part of, I mean, that's part of motherhood is suffering, right? For our children. Not, I don't think it's just talking about childbirth. Um, and sorrow shalt thou bring forth children. Anyway, just, I don't think that's just for moms though. I think dads are the same. Mm -hmm. That and we have that suffering and act as intercessories for our children, like I was saying earlier. Anyways, go ahead, Cameron. Mm -hmm. uh, just taking it uh, on a different paradigm as well, where we have, um, Adam and Eve as being Christ in the church in that symbolism and the, the, the multiplication of sorrows that we have to bring people into to life and, and things, I, I think is another aspect um, that's really been hitting me hard lately. Um, just really considering myself as Eve, part of the church and uh, fulfilling that kind of role. Um, uh, I don't know. That's been uh, kind of the focus of, of some of my endowment experiences lately. Okay. So that brings me to something I wanted to ask and I didn't know where to ask it, but in that same vein, then what does this have to do with the gathering of Israel? 
Just like, like the whole how, concept of redemptive suffering, right? Or specifically like the Adam and Eve thing. Just the redemptive suffering. It could be the Adam, because you were you were saying that Adam and Eve are like the church. As the church, our role is to gather Israel. So it could be either. Mm-hmm. How does I as I was reading this, it may I just I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was any specific thing, but it brought me to just, I don't know. I just started thinking about how is this like the gathering of Israel? Because are we not saviors as we gather Israel? Yeah, exactly. I think Spencer is the, you know, the example, the most obvious example that we have of what that's going to look like to uh, in the end times to be one of the gatherers, you know, and I certainly haven't been told I'm going to be on that team, but I feel like we all have roles to play somewhere in that, or we wouldn't be drawn to Isaiah. I think we would be still asleep. And that's where the camaraderie with all of you come. I think it's a small, lonely group for a while, you know, but Spencer had to prepare. He's he had to, he's gone through a lifetime of suffering. Maxwell obviously saw his future and what he was going to have to do. And so I extrapolate that out to um, the end time Davidic servant, and he's suffering at this time. He's going through his preparations, um, obviously at a different level. Um, yeah, it just opens up the whole thing. Everyone's on a different level, but we're all awakening to that um, role that we have in the gathering Mm -hmm. i hope we get i hope we get the memo (laughs) (laughs) i think there has to be several different chapters in the gathering Mm because i mean spencer showed a specific gathering right of them all coming down but president nelson's telling us to gather and i i don't know like there has to be like maybe a preliminary gathering? I think that's I been the last 200 years is that preliminary gathering, you know, building up people's faith through their family lines and strengthening us to be able to have the infrastructure of the church and the temples and everything all around the world. All of that is the preparatory. Um, but Isaiah is pretty clear. It happens quick. Like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an immediate thing. That's why I'm always so curious why no other prophet, at least in my lifetime, has put such an emphasis on the gathering of Israel as President Nelson has. Mm-hmm. You know, what, is, what is it about right now? I mean, One of the things that I have been pondering um, off and on, and it somewhat relates to this, what we've just been discussing, is I look back at the time of Joseph Smith and the revelations that he received were such a explosion of light, such an outpouring from the heavens that was just so out of the ordinary. And I feel like it's taken us generations to really even be able to begin to assimilate what he was telling us, what was happening. So I think that like, like Shalisa said, that we are in the process of becoming 
collectively and individually a people who can prepare the world for him. And it began, but it's, it's literally an ongoing generational process. We are standing on the shoulders of those who sacrificed before us. That's something that I ponder from time to time because I feel like it's taken us a long time to be able to get to where we are. I think that, um, let's see if I can express this the way I feel it. Um, I think it's wonderful how the the Savior trusts us enough to help with this proxy um, suffering and being a proxy savior. I, I think I think it's twofold, maybe even more than that, but uh, we're helping others, but I think it he's teaching us how to be gods, you know. Uh, I think it's part of that overall process. And uh, in that part where uh, I was talking about Elder Maxwell, he made the comment in there that uh, without uh, being proxy saviors, you will never be exalted. I mean, we can be saved, but we're not going to be exalted. And those who are exalted are um, those who continue on to build other worlds and we need to know all these things, you know. I think it's a, a training ground for us as well. But I, I also think um, that we're being awakened to this because he needs, he needs us to, you know, he's really counting on us to follow through on this and and become because it's. It's really us that he's talking about becoming the 144,000 that are going to help with that end time gathering and 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 becoming translated and stuff. Anyway, that's and kind of referencing like the progression of the church and, and things, you know, throughout the restoration and uh, how things have recently changed and stuff. Um, just kind of going along. I've, forget exactly where this is but when he starts becoming talking about adam and eve right and then he mentions uh the endowment minute 31 um so it's, it's interesting there where that davidic covenant relationship or that davidic covenant language has changed over time right uh in our own endowment throughout the restoration and it's interesting the progression that it's taken it's come in steps, but each step is a very marked um, change of, of status, of, of level, right? Like we can see that the church, Eve, is ascending by which law she is receiving kind of a thing. And, and I thought that, that was very interesting that, that he's pointing that out. I mean, although he doesn't uh, delve into it for obvious reasons, but um, that watch Eve and consider yourself as Eve being the church. And uh, we can see a definite progression in where the church has been, is, and where it's heading and uh, becoming 
queens and, and priestesses to the to the most high god in our covenant relationship with with jehovah there i think that that's just so telling of i don't know kind of like letting us know where we're at uh kind of a thing even though uh, a lot of people will will balk at that idea <laughs> but um probably you know the ongoing res re restoration was what president nelson called it and I think that's a sign of, um, of truth and growth, because that's what we're all doing. We're all becoming collectively and individually. And some might say, well, the church just changes its mind, or it just does this, or it just does that, and may look at it as being a way to detract from what is actually really happening, which is we are all ascending together. Mm. At least that's the way I look at it. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people saying, oh, we're losing all of the symbolism. But it's a graduation of symbolism. Like we're moving from one level to the next. Like if you want to stay at that level, that's totally fine. <laughs> but like as, as a church, the Lord is letting us know, hey, it, it's now time. Uh, moving up and, and assuming new responsibilities, leaving the old behind and... Uh, for new and better things. Can we um, kind of pinpoint some of those um, events or changes that, that you see involved in that? And I'll start, I think the, the focus on keeping the Sabbath day holy, when that came out, I thought, oh, bother, this is so old. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the, I don't get it, you know, what's so important? And after reading Isaiah, there's whole chapters about Sabbath breakers that yeah. <laughs> so damning. And I have have a complete 180 since Isaiah on my Sabbath keeping. Like it's changed for sure. Mm -hmm. So what other things, what other things have you all seen that have are bringing the church as a body forward? Ministering. Mm -hmm. yeah make the higher and holier i mean he's flat out said it <clears throat> but i don't think we really believe it like how is this higher and holier and and we just think oh yay now we don't have to report and so um i'm no longer um accountable and yet the accountability is so much more right than it was by report no longer are we reporting to the Relief Society president and the elders quorum president. Now we're reporting to Heavenly Father or to Jesus Christ, right? What we're doing. And if we take it even a step further, are we limiting our ministering just to those who we've been assigned to? Or are we looking at every day, asking the Lord, who may I serve today? Yep. That. That's true. I, I feel like, especially after reading Visions of Glory, I, and then they changed the ministry and I thought, you know what, someday we're not going to have assignments. We, we will live by the spirit and we will be assigned by the spirit to help whoever, you know, I, we will not have a list. <laughs> I, don't you feel like this is kind of a hybrid though, because we still do have a list, right? It's a hybrid between ministering and visiting, teaching, home teaching. And yeah, the time will come where I agree with you, where 
we're just, it's like, we have the training, like we had the training wheels on. I don't know. Maybe we were on a tricycle before and now we're on the two wheeler with the training wheels mm-hmm. and the training wheels are going to come off. Wow. It, it's very interesting to see the progression of the church, right? Like our youth, our millennials uh, have grown up with things changing, uh, you know, every year, every couple of years, especially with President Nelson, like every general conference, you're looking for something. But like when I was younger, it, you know, it, it wasn't changing quite as frequently or anything. But I remember, um, I think it was Elder Holland, one of the the things or whatever, talked about the hastening of the work. And they were talking about uh, missionary work and, and family history work that it's going to start really amping up and accelerating. And he, and he basically said, welcome to the hastening. Uh, we're going to start seeing things move much quicker than they have in the past. And um, when I first got put into a family history calling, uh, 2017 was the the change from the old uh, find, take, teach uh, family history program to the Discover, Gather, Connect. And the priesthood brethren were saying, this is the higher and holier way. Forget find, take, teach. That's the Mosaic law. And this is the the holy way. And I was like, what? I don't get it. But then it started like evolving and, and morphing. And, and now I see how inspired that hastening of family history work was. And I, I think it's only going to improve and, and grow in the future. It, yeah, like you said, we're, we're kind of, we were in some triacycle modes. Now we're in some training wheel modes. And, and eventually it'll just be so natural to us as we're fulfilling our roles as kings and queens that we won't have to have assignments or, or checklists or, or any kind of things that would inhibit us from fulfilling our, our full inspiration, revelation, and guidance from, from, the, from the spirit as we're doing it. Kind of what about the prophet telling us to uh, increase our ability to receive and recognize revelation? I can't find the thing that says, raise your hand. I can't find it. Oh, you're good. <laughs> but yeah. Like hearing him and we won't even be able to survive in the future without that. I think that that's huge. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how much of that was like a wake up call? Like, wait a minute, do I know how to do that? Okay, well, I better (laughs) learn and stuff. And it was so interesting uh, where where people took it, you know, and and how everybody's experience of that is is wildly different, right? Um, Yeah, uh, it's amazing. And we have so many examples of that in the scripture, in scriptures, especially the Book of Mormon, right? Where Lehi didn't survive if he didn't leave Jerusalem. And yet that was such a a hard thing to do. Like he really had to know the spirit to know how to do that. And I think I've talked about it before. Nephi, when he told his brothers, like if the spirit told him, put his hands out and you'll shock your brother. Do you know the spirit? Do you trust the spirit enough? to have the faith to do that, you know, and then to say, touch me and you'll die. Like those kind of things, they're in the scriptures. And so when we, I think a lot of us just think, oh, I have the Holy Ghost. I can hear him. You know what I mean? But I don't know how many people are really practicing hearing the Holy Ghost and having faith in the Holy Ghost or in the Lord to do what we're commanded to do. Was someone else going to say something? 
Oh, I was just going to say, um, you know, you were, ta- you were talking about the training wheels and, and kind of these, you know, we're going to this next step or next phase or whatever. And, and, and it, and seems like a lot of these changes that are inviting us to the next step, you wonder, you know, going to the next step is probably going to require the world as we know it turning on its head and, and a lot of the ways we do things just won't even be available. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's it's going to be a big boost jump in our leveling up, maybe. But I also love the changes in the temple because it shows us where we're at. Where, like for me, that's like not a timeline of when the Christ returns, but it's kind of a timeline, right? Like we don't know exactly still, but we can see where he's bringing us as members of the church, as endowed members of the church, where we're going and where we're at. And yeah. So like uh, along that line, it's very interesting to me and I'm, I'm trying not to judge like uh, like it says at the the top of uh, this lecture right like let's forget about judging uh, other people can be wherever they're at and uh, experience it learn at their own pace kind of a thing but it's interesting those that look to be offended by any temple changes and and just go right to the negative first which which is fine because I've been there before I, I've done that in, in previous things but um <laughs> Like we have the pattern of the prophets, right? The prophets never go up and receive the entire vision on their first round. They keep going back to the temple, ascending the high mountain, having further, deeper experiences. And, and they're really check-ins with the Lord. So they, they have their personal interview and then they come back and report and say, here's where I'm at. And then he tells you, here's where you're at. And, and this is, what you've done, this is where you're at now, and this is what you can become. Now go out and then come back and report again, and then I'll show you again where you're at. And I feel like that's where the endowment is taking us, that as a church, we're collectively consistently returning and reporting, and the Lord is going, hey, now do this, because we're I'm showing you something else, kind of a thing. And so... It, if you're looking to be offended, you're always going to find offense, right? And so looking at the symbolism, taking a deeper dive, and then going to the Lord, like uh, what we've talked about, hear him, find out what he wants you to know, and and you'll be surprised at, at how willing and quickly the Lord will respond to that earnest pleading to know your status before him kind of a thing. I, I think that that's just so powerful with, with our endowment and, you know, future changes to the endowment that uh, will inevitably take place it's fun I, I love this part of the restoration um one thing that I wanted to make sure we covered was um kind of around minute marker 14 well 13 ish um he talks about um let's see which one are we quoting we're quoting Romans 8 28 through 30 um but then he uh goes in and, and goes back to the previous lecture where we were talking about 2 Nephi 28. And uh, if we were already created in the image of God, what are some of the precepts of men that were discussed in the previous lecture? And, and there's the one. 
we are all created in the image and likeness of God. Well, not quite like the way Genesis defines it, because Genesis defines Adam and Eve as created in the image and likeness of God. The book of Moses defines the brother of Jared as created in the image and likeness of God. They had reached a certain spiritual level where indeed they were in the image and likeness of God, the Father. If we are already created in the image of the Son, why do we need to go through all of this in order to conform to the image of the Son? That he might be the firstborn among many brethren and joint heirs with him. The Son is an heir of the Father's glory. And so what are your guys' thoughts on created in the image and likeness of God? I think that there's a lot more depth to that phrase than we sometimes kind of take it at face value. Oh, yeah, we just look like God. We're not going to be aliens or some hybrid form of animal beast kind of things that, oh, yeah, we're in his image. But I think that there's a lot more to that sentiment that's uh, being taught throughout the scriptures. But anyway, just wanted to get your guys' uh, thoughts and opinions on that. Well, that's what King Benjamin taught, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you received his image in your countenance? Do you look like God? Isn't that what he's asking? Yeah. So it's a layered. I mean, he wants us to know that we're his sons and daughters. We look like him, what he looks like. But there's more to it. Which makes me wonder <laughs> how much more is to it, because that's only two layers. Yeah. And so we, I think there's lots of onion layers to build there. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, isn't it in Visions of Glory, I think, where he talks about that they were recognized um, when they, I can't remember exactly which part or whatever, but um, that they recognized them because they had the suffering kind of written on their faces. Uh, does that make sense? I'm wording that really wrong. But um, uh, Elder Holland also gave an MTC talk that's available online in different places, but um, he says, welcome to the Brotherhood of Suffering. And, and here is where we start recognizing each other. And you, you can almost see it on people's countenances, right? Once you're, you're spiritually in tune, you can be like, oh, you've, you've went through hell. And, and I can tell that you've come out on the other side. And uh, you can just recognize people's descent phases, even though you might not know details of it. But you can just tell people who they, they have the image of God in their countenance um, based upon suffering and, and the, the meekness or the, the meek qualities that they inherit through that process kind of a thing. If any of that makes sense. I don't know. I'm really wording that <laughs> poorly. I think I understand. There's a distinction between someone who's just talking about something and somebody who embodies it. Yeah. There's a depth to a person. And I think it's a godly depth because when you have partaken of suffering, even in a small degree, you are becoming more godlike. And so that depth is very apparent. Even when you're speaking, they can tell, people can tell, they will be drawn to what you're saying because it carries something in it that is convincing, more convincing than somebody just talking about it. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to get also, Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Real quick. I think it depends on how you take the suffering, how you go through it. You know, there's some people that turn bitter and ugly and um, 
others that submit, you know, whether they understand they're submitting to God or not, but they submit to it and they become uh, meek and, and lowly and yeah, humble. So I'm going to get just a little vulnerable. <laughs> um, in the suffering, it's really challenging. And I don't know if you guys have felt this because my spirit feels this way. And I know, like, I know this. And yet the bot, like bringing that physical body into alignment with the spiritual, right? And not, I don't know. So let's just say, because it's an easy one to say, um, getting offended. Like spiritually, my spirit knows I don't need to be offended, but my body is like, yeah you know, not, not just my body, but like that emotion, that psyche, that whatever, um, just there's all sorts of suffering. That's just an easy one to say, but just bringing that physical body into alignment with the spiritual, that is the challenge. I think at least for me is understanding how can I bring this all in alignment and and I, and I know what the spiritual things are. And yet, why do I feel this way still? And trying to just learn to let that go or, you know, and I think um, that's human nature. Everybody reacts that way to this situation or to this, whatever, um, this experience. And so it is a human nature thing. And yet why can't, why can't I just work through that? Why can't I just let that go? Because I know spiritually, like I literally know, I don't know. I'm just saying, yeah. have you guys felt that way? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you? <laughs> yeah, all too much. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I figured, but that's the hard part is just learning because that's the natural like narcissism, every narcissist does the same thing. It's like, there's no surprise. And so it's just funny. It's like Satan never changes, but it's, it's gotta be the human nature that this is the way that you act. And this is what caused the narcissism in everyone. And yet they all act the same. And so if I know that I'm acting that way, why can't I just change it? Why can't I change those reactions to how I understand spiritually. Is that making sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's go Leslie and then mom. Hi. Um, as we're all talking about this, I'm um, just sensing it has everything to do with love. And um, I mean, I think that's what we're, some people I think come to earth with um, God's love intact in them. <clears throat> but I think for a lot of us, it's that um, learning to gain that. And um, and when you're talking about that, Alethea, and thinking that we want to have our heart know what our head knows. And, uh, you know, I think that's the name of the game if we want to, call this earthly experience a, a game. I think it's more like a school probably than anything else. And um, yeah, I, I think when we see the suffering on 
people's countenance like you're talking about, Cameron. It's a, um, having come out the other side with the love uh, in greater abundance than you had going into it. And uh, one thing the Lord has been impressing upon me lately is what if this one particular person was your soul mm -hmm. schooling um, curriculum? And <clears throat> how, how would you do if you're, if it was all based on this one relationship, which can be really difficult with, um, I, I struggle with relationships with certain people more than anything else in the world. And I don't know if it's the same way with everyone else. Um, but the Lord, when President Monson would talk about the one, this is what the Lord is teaching me. It's like that if you master this through love, then you can do anything. And so that's what I'm working on. Relationships are like the hardest things. <laughs> like, right. Sometimes it's that little like, oh my gosh, I, I'm going to fail. Like this is the worst because like some relationships are excellent and I wish I could just do those. But then some of them are like, yep, I'm, I'm just going to hell. I, I might as well accept it. <laughs> hey, Kevin, can, can you lower? Sorry. Sorry. Can you lower my hand and mute me? My phone is being weird. Yeah, you're good. Thank you. I think those relationships that are the most difficult are the ones that are God sent because they're going to show us what we need to see about ourselves. And, oh, that's my next assignment for growth. Mm -hmm. That's the refiner's fire, right? Right. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love what Avraham says about um, it, you know, how he always says, oh, it's, it's all good. You know, all the, these these struggles that we have with relationships, I, you know, I, I, I totally get that. And I wonder all the time, like, am, am I in the right place? But then hearing what Avraham is saying, you know, look at it like, you know, they are there to teach you. And this, it does come from God. Cause I think that <laughs> because we even learn through, um, uh, there, are whoever we're in a relationship with Let, let's say a, a spouse if a spouse is doing terrible things and you're suffering and you're like keeping your covenants and you're doing all this stuff but you're suffering because of their choices it sure does help to look at it like oh this is so that I can learn whatever to to love them through this or to love um you know what else can I do to 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 help myself go through this situation, to think that those things are purposeful in a deeper way than I have been thinking of them, but that he's like, no, no, this is, this is purposeful. This, this horrible thing is actually, you know, I'll take care of them. They're making their mistakes, but this, look at this for you, that it's, it's so meaningful and purposeful. That's, that's, that is a gift to implement that and to you know, after like, say an initial offense to step back and go, oh, wait, the Lord is loving me. He wants me to progress. And this is, I'd rather have it this than something else, you know? Yeah. 
that it's so interesting how how hard that that uh, process is right uh, to be able to see people as god sees them until we get kind of a, a bird's eye view of the situation because like we can always look at somebody else's uh, relationship or, or patterns or whatever and be like oh this is what they need to do but we have a hard time doing that ourselves and so that's kind of the the pattern and purpose of prayer is to to go to the lord and say okay remove my emotions from the situation and give me the the overall vision like how do you fix this and and uh, be able to to see things in a whole new light and yeah it, it's just <laughs> it's quite amazing the uh, the love that that the Lord has for us to give us really difficult relationships. <laughs> it's not just going to be easy. And yep. suffer with us through them. Poor Darlene's had her hand raised forever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just enjoying all the comments. Um, but I wanted to just mention like how learning about um, Isaiah's ladder and how that works uh, was so intriguing to me and it just filled in a lot of blanks. And I remember when we talked about this, that it was, um, you're, you're never alone. Like through your suffering and stuff, there's always at least someone, but it's probably even more than just one person, but there's someone on a, the level higher than you that's reaching down because they've been through that and they understand it and they help you uh, through that. And it's our responsibility, whatever level we are on to reach down to anyone that's on a lower level to help them because we understand the level that we're on. And so there's all these, this reaching down and, and, and helping. And I wrote this down when I listened to Abraham's thing, he said this, this ministering of uh, reaching down and, and to, to the other levels and stuff and helping them up, this is what the fullness of the gospel is. You know, we talk about the fullness of the gospel. This is what it is. Mm -hmm. Beautiful comment. That made me think of my son's company actually uses that as a model. Um, where he works they are not in competition with each other they are literally mentoring and lifting every person that's below them to come up and I just thought that was such an interesting business model mm -hmm. yeah you don't see that much <laughs> in fact I don't know if I ever have seen that before yeah. well it's got a good name Angel Studios mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah that's so interesting because sometimes especially when we're new to to the whole structure and everything uh, sometimes we're focused on oh awesome davidic covenants what can i do like you're, you're wanting to to like look down and and see who you can help but one of the interesting things throughout uh this is saying first put your own oxygen mask on kind of a thing like don't forget to ask god to, to open your eyes to who's making covenants for you. Like, like, look up, see all of your ancestors, the ministering angels and everybody who is 
actively right now going through redemptive suffering, just like the, the Maxwell Spencer experience listed here, that they are doing intercessory prayers for you. Don't forget about them. Like, it's not just about you ministering to others. You got to you gotta kind of put your own oxygen mask on and receive divine assistance before you can start helping others and, and learning how to, to reach down properly in that covenant relationship kind of a thing. And I think that that was very transformational for me is to, to often include that and, and plead that I might be able to, to receive, I mean, like, uh, actually like receive it and not just block it, the help and intercessory work that is happening on my behalf. Um, uh, because I find that, that I am often my own worst enemy saying, I can do this myself. I don't need it. You know, like I'll accept help from, from Christ, the atonement, but like, inter <laughs> I, I kind of forget about other intercessory work. And so wherever you're at on the, the ladder at any given point, be like, okay, so I know that there's a level above me that is interceding on my behalf. Accept it, receive it, embrace it, and use that uh, rather than just going a million miles a, a minute in the opposite direction uh, <laughs> kind of thing. I don't know if that makes sense, but. Uh, and it reminds me of Elder Holland's talk, I believe October, 2008 about angels remember and it's kind of the same thing that they're there helping you guiding you he didn't say intercessory you know <laughs> yeah but i'm sure that's part of it too mm -hmm. and that it is really brought out by um did i share it yeah yeah in the chat <laughs> um so this this podcast or whatever has been really interesting uh, somebody shared it with me last week and well a, a few weeks back and i finally got to it last week um but uh, he's going through uh, his experience with a near-death experience and, and showing kind of intercessory work in, in a new light and things. Um, I highly recommend uh, it. There, there's some things that I'm like, wow, that's kind of different, but there's so many things that are very similar and just kind of taking all dreams, visions, near-death experiences and just going to the Lord with them, uh, uh, talking about uh, the different things that, that pop up in there. But uh, this one's very interesting where he's um, like what we were just mentioning there and uh, kind of getting a new, a new perspective or, or paradigm uh, from that, that redemptive suffering. I, I find that podcast very interesting that way. I know our time's almost up, but I kind of wanted to talk about land, the promised land. Mm -hmm. um, and that's around 33, it's right above 33, minute. Uh -huh. Um, anyways, maybe it's just because of where we're at. Like I had mentioned before, I don't know if it was here or Hebrew class that, um, we kind of want to buy some land and have all our kids live on it and work together and have a little Zion there, but I don't like our house, we've gotten it the way we want it to be. And, you know, I don't know what's going to end up happening. And I'd always kind of thought that my kids would end up having to come live in our house with us because it's a big house. We don't have room for all of them, but we would do what we have to do, right? Um, we'd make room and we have planted a little orchard. We have a little garden. We have grapes. We have berries. We have, you know, anyway, we're not allowed to have chickens, but our community 
our HOA, we have a pond and we have ducks everywhere. So I'm thinking, doesn't say we can't have ducks. Maybe we'll just have duck eggs instead of chicken eggs. <laughs> but anyway, it made me think as I was reading about this and it made me think of Lehi and his promised land. If where we each live, if that is in our promised land and how to protect our land. Like, I know that it's, I know that it's a big picture too, but I just couldn't help but think, can we claim the blessings on our promised land where we live? Yeah. Uh, such an interesting principle, isn't it? And like, mm -hmm. um, I, this was a report I did long ago at, at Rexburg or whatever, but they were, um, the assignment was to take a look at the gospel of Luke and see the the difference between temple and house uh, that Luke is is really striving for there, and uh, it really opened my eyes to to everything. And and the thing that I based my my whole paper on was uh, the fact that this is illustrated in the tale of the three little pigs, and that um, as we strive to take the uh, learn from our our brothers, right? And uh, so we have the pattern of the temple, but learning how to build our own sanctuaries of faith um, and build it out of bricks rather than uh, out of straw when the, the wolf blows it in kind of a thing. And um, very interesting how that has come uh, kind of full circle with it, it being mentioned in conference and, and things of like that, that we are to make our homes and, and we have our own places of refuge um, because the temples are, but uh, that, that's a template. Uh, Our home should be a temple, means, right? Yeah, it means a template of the eternities, and and we can take that template and make our own um, holy place uh, in our lives, kind of a thing. And so I think that that's just such a strong principle that we yeah. sometimes just miss, right? Like, oh no, you there's a special place reserved, and that's the only thing that you can can do, kind of a thing. But it, it's a temple. It's a template. Well, see, and I thought that about my home, but it wasn't till today I thought that about where my home sits, uh -huh. right? And I chose that home, but I felt like the Lord directed us to it. And so, I don't know, it just made me think I can not only make my home like the temple, but I can make this my promised land too. Yeah, I love that. Makes me think of like uh, President Nelson's five points to bless, guide, protect, strengthen, and heal. And those are things that we can do to fortify our promised lands. That, yeah. Yeah. Fred? I, um, I know we're out of time, so I don't expect to go anywhere with this, but I want to introduce a question that came to my mind as I read over this. And it's um, in the minute... Um, Maybe we can, if anybody has anything to share, they could post it on the Your Learning Zion or something. But it, it's the minute nine point, I guess, five zero, where it talks, he talks about our bodies are able to rise and ascend to the, that high level and vibrate on the level of our spirits. And what happened for me was when I read that, I began to wonder about our spirits. Our spirits are inhabiting a body right now, our physical being. And I was wondering, do our 
spirits ever become unhappy because of the choices that we're making? Do they become deformed, even contorted, or do they always remain pristine? Um, as he talks about vibrating at a higher level, I just, it just opened up a whole, like, I want to know more about my spirit. I want to know if, you know, how I can give it a better physical experience. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. How can, how do we harmonize and how do we conceptualize what the spirit actually, our spirits actually are? So if anybody has any thoughts on that, I know we're out of, you know, we're out of time, but if anybody has any thoughts and wants to pick up that thread later or would like to post on Learning Zion, I would be very interested to hear what, what you others think about that. I just think that um, that's where a lot of suffering comes in the world is when our spirits and our bodies are out of alignment. When we're making physical choices that go against our spirit, mm -hmm. that that causes a lot of suffering and disease and things like that. That's my thought. Quickly. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. If anybody wants to uh, to share on that, uh, when you're going into the the document here itself, this would probably be the the easiest way rather than uh, doing learning Zion and stuff, but. Uh, if you just want to to come in here, you highlight a, a section and mm -hmm. then uh, click the comment button. Uh, we can do that for for this week so that we can talk about it. Okay, I didn't know that tricky thing. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. Jennifer asks about the the MTC talk from Holland. Um, I don't have it like right off the top of my head, but um, I, I know I've seen it around. But it's an MTC talk and kind of like the the catchphrase of um, Welcome to the Brotherhood of Suffering. Uh, he talks about uh, apostleship with a capital A and an apostleship with a lowercase a and, and our role as missionaries and gatherers in the, the kingdom kind of thing. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll try to find it. I, I might have to go back through my MTC notes and see exactly when that was, but um, I know I've seen links online for it. Um, but yeah, so for next... Saturday, right, is, let me make sure, yes, next Saturday, I'm going to be out of town, um, so next Saturday, we're not going to meet, but uh, on June 3rd, um, we're going to pick back up with the second half of lecture two. Dang it, I'm going to be out of town. We <laughs> <laughs> all have to hop on. <laughs> yeah, our, my classes start at nine, so I won't be able to hop on here but I mean unless we wanted to do it like earlier I guess we could do it uh, <laughs> next week then but uh yeah darn it it's always hard <laughs> working schedules in, in the summertime but um. I know <laughs> Darlene's had her hand up your mother's had her hand up for a little bit yeah. <laughs> I'm looking out for you Darlene thank you <laughs> um I'm just gonna throw this out there I it I, no doctrine to this or anything, but I, it's something I've been thinking about. And when Alethea was saying that about the pro, our own promised lands and stuff, I've been wondering if, like, after um, uh, this celestial uh, part is destroyed, you know, by fire and cleansed and all things, and 
and it's made into the terrestrial state for the millennium. I was thinking, wouldn't that be cool if we got to live in our promised lands that we established, you know, while we were in the celestial state, if we've earned that. And because I know with myself here where, I mean, I feel, I don't know, just, I'm just, I feel home here and I, I love it here. And I just wondering if maybe we've got to live somewhere, you know, on earth. So why not our little promised lands that we kind of established? I don't know. It's just something I've been wondering about. I like that. Also, while you were talking, we have, we live on a hill kind of, and we have a lot of retaining walls. And when we first moved here, we had a sinkhole, like it went down five feet behind the retaining wall. And it was all over our driveway. We had to fill it in and we felt good about it. And now that's sinking again. And, and um, I remember the first time it happened and we had a big rainstorm and I laid in bed and I said, Heavenly Father, I know you can move mountains, but please don't move mine. (laughs) (laughs) Let it stay there. Well, now we've got this problem again. We're going to put a French drain in, but I think we can also, like, I often pray for a bubble of protection over my property yeah, I um, and that it will repel all evil and all those who want to do harm. But I could also not just ask the Lord to not move our mountain, <laughs> but maybe to heal our land, right? And bless the garden. I know we've blessed the gardens that they would grow, but um yeah, I think we can ask Heavenly Father to heal our land. I want to just say something real quick about that. Um, yeah. I, I saw that, I think it was Stacy who did this. Uh, she found this guy that offers yeah. this little kit with stakes that you can stake around your land with little scriptures and stuff on it. Because it's like the stakes of Zion, like how yeah, we're staked. exactly mm-hmm. literally stakes of Zion. And so I don't know. I think she posted the link. I didn't really look at it too closely, but I that was just brought to my mind. Yeah, I think I she posted that. that a couple of weeks ago. So mm-hmm. she actually sent it to me in a message last week and sent me a little voice message and then she posted it. So I think it was last Saturday. Yeah. Um, I think it was. Anyway, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. I need to go back. I need to do that. That you write scriptures on your stakes and put it around your property. Right. And then she said that there's he goes around and does that. And this town found out about it and said, would you please post it in our town? They were really crime ridden. And so he went around and did that. And their crime was like dropped drastically. And so I had just been telling her about some trials that I've been having in my ward. And she said, Maybe you should do that on your ward or stake boundaries, post in stakes around. And she goes, maybe that will heal it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. That um, in the the blessings of Abraham book that we read, um, the, he talks about the, the ordinance of walking the perimeter. Uh, Anytime that you receive land from God as a promised land, that there's an ordinance that you walk the perimeter of your property um, like Abraham did. He walked the entire land of Canaan so that you know the borders and that you are f- forming a 
a border of, of protection and, and blessing the land kind of a thing. But it, the thing that I wanted to point out is that he actually called it an ordinance, um, uh, Abraham did, that it was the ordinance of walking the perimeter. Uh, and, and I wonder if that's the same kind of principle here with like the, the stakes of, of Zion, mm -hmm. the pattern for us in the future. I'm yeah. still reading that book. It's so good. It's so good. What book? It? What book? I didn't get in on the very first uh, book study. And now when I don't have time to go, you know, all the studies are kind of stopped. So I'm like, I'm just going to go into learning Zion <laughs> and do a book study. And so... <laughs> I didn't realize you had uh, put the audio on it because I did try to go buy an audio book of that. And holy cow, you did the audio. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> You'll notice sometimes I'm listening to it eight, nine times. It's because I keep falling asleep at night when I'm listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> Cameron, anyone can go to Learning Zion, right? Or do you need to um, give them access? I mean, it'll ask for approval. Like you just go in there and uh, put in, make up a username and password or whatever, and then I'll have to give approval on it. But but yeah, okay. it's mostly just to stop spammers. Like every single day I block like 25 Russian spammers from entering the website. So it, it's not- Really? Oh my gosh. It's not to keep people out. It's just to keep spam out. Uh, but yeah. yeah, anybody's welcome to it. Um, yeah, because um, denied or something. <laughs> let me know, and I can manually put. Marie, your Maria was asking, and I gave her the website, and I just wanted to be sure. Oh, uh huh. Yeah, yeah. LearningZion.com. In so I long. Someone was asking the name of that book. Um, yeah, I can't. Check. I can't type right now. But um, the blessings of Abraham by Clark. Yeah, E. Douglas Clark. Yeah. There's the, the title and everything. It's so good. It is seriously one of the best books <laughs> I've ever read. One of the best books. I just, ugh, good, good, good. I'm so sad I missed the first group. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what we recorded. And we had like, what, three groups at, at the time or whatever. So there's like three recordings for each chapter. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You had three online groups and then you had two in person, didn't you? Uh, yeah. And so there's, there's quite a bit of information there. I would love to at some point, not this year, but if we <laughs> don't have internet next year, maybe we uh, go and revisit that book because it was such a transformational thing. For oh me. my goodness. Uh, to learn about Abraham and connect with him in, in such a deep and meaningful way. Well, my like blessing Abraham says to, uh -huh. go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, you're good. Uh, I was just going to say my patriotic blessing tells me to study this and that's maybe why i'm jiving on it so good <laughs> yeah but no it is really good yeah it, it's so good Cameron, remind me is it from that book because it's been so long now where you were talking about the ordinance of walking the land and abraham did that is it from that book uh-huh yeah uh-huh cameron yeah, it took him like two weeks to do it i think I, I just read that the other day two weeks for him to he was booking along yeah, I, I can't imagine going up and down, up and down. <laughs> Maybe that was one of his seraphim travels. <laughs> Maybe. Flying along. I don't know. I just had no clue how he had ascended way, you know, and that he chose to stay back with us so we could come forth. Oh my goodness. I bawled when I read that. I bawled and bawled and bawled and bawled and bawled. His greatest desire was to be translated with the city of Enoch and escape this world. 
I know. After he goes through his training and everything, he chooses just like this. Like I read, we read Isaiah decoded right on the heels of it. And I go, oh, Oh. that's what he's doing. (laughs) He does a Davidic covenant, a redemptive covenant on behalf of people. And he chose to stay. He chose to stay. Oh gosh, it, it's just so powerful. So like, I know the, the thing I know. that amazes me is like Avraham that hit like his life's mission is to help us understand Isaiah, and E. Douglas Clark has paid the same price to understand Abraham. Like I, I, I just respect men and and women that that spend their whole life helping us understand one person, one prophet, and 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 their teachings and, and things like that. Like Abraham, oh man so many good things a lot of his stuff came from the apocrypha and Mm -hmm. i i did just get that not too long ago and i love reading it there's (laughs) a lot of amazing stuff in there yes well we're going to the temple this afternoon so i'm super excited now after this discussion oh man yesterday i had so many fun experiences in the temple <laughs> I, it was like so good like yeah. every time that you learn new things then you go to I the know. temple and it's kind of like this uh, sandbox this playground where you get to uh find out and and ask the lord different things and then actually experience spiritual gifts like it, it's just so fun to go to the temple i love it <laughs> yep anyway. I, I love that because- often go I love that because how many people say, oh, it's so fun to go to the temple. <laughs> it's usually a chore. But it is. it is. It is. It's a, a privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If any of you guys ever get to, to be a <laughs> temple worker or whatever, the, the patron experience video, we watched that one again yesterday. Oh my gosh. It's just like uh, a heart wrecker. Like it just lingers with you so heavily. So like they, they tell this, a couple experiences uh, of some patrons in the temple and it's it's meant to convey to temple workers the importance of focusing on on helping the patrons connect with heaven kind of a thing and it's just like oh oh my gosh so like yesterday after watching the patron experience again everybody has their kleenex all day long they're just like the sniffles and stuff but it's like ah oh, the temples are just an amazing place to to connect That's- Mm-hmm. Those must be newer videos because I didn't see that when I was a temple worker, but it's been mm-hmm. uh, 11 or 12 years. Reason. Yeah, it's been 11 or 12 years since I was a temple worker. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're looking forward. They took core samples this week yeah. of our land. Yeah, of our temple site. So, all fun. It's getting close. Mine started going too. It's being built finally. The permits finally came through. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! I, it's so exciting. I love all. It is exciting. All right. Well, we should probably let everyone go. <laughs> we, we use yeah. it always, but. <laughs> Cameron, I was just wondering, since we have a few that are just new, if you should just step them through learning Zion and and how to ma- maneuver that through there, you know, stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna off. Bye, guys. Yeah, anyone that needs to to go get ready for the temple. (laughs) (laughs) Bye bye. Bye.